The JMF Advisors Show is a podcast for business owners, C-suite executives, and entrepreneurs who are looking to build, grow, or even exit a business. We bring in some of our best financial advisors to interview experts on business best practices, hot topics, and sprinkle in some tax and accounting help. If you're a business owner, startup founder, CFO, or just starting your side hustle, this podcast is for you. Hello, and welcome to the JMF Advisors Show. We have another good topic for you today. We're going to be discussing like-kind exchanges, and I'm joined today by Marlon Hayes. He's an attorney at Hayes Ingram, LLC, and this is, is this primarily what you do, all that you do? Well, it is a, a component of what I do. Okay. I do a lot of real estate transaction work, so the 1031 exchanges come into play a good bit. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, so we hear them called like kind of exchanges. We hear them called 1031 exchanges. We're talking about all the same thing. So when we hear people talk about that, what are we really talking about? Yeah, so uh, a like kind of exchange is simply a transaction in which people swap pieces of property. Um, the 1031 refers to the section of the Internal Revenue Code that is the most uh, dominant section that has to do with how you structure these things in order to make sure that they don't run afoul of the, the tax rules. So a simple example would be if you own property A and I own property B, rather than me selling property B and then using the money that I receive from that sale to go out and buy the property A from you, we would just directly swap the properties with each other. That's a, a simple, direct exchange. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more when we get into it. I think mm -hmm. about the most common, most commonly, um, we'll find that the exchanges are not direct, contemporaneous. They'll be deferred, and mm -hmm. so we'll have some some additional parties and terms to talk about in order to make sure that we uh, accomplish, uh, accomplish that type of structure. So, what kind of property qualifies for a like kind of exchange? Um, any real estate. Okay. basically, as, as long as it meets some other requirements. But used to be prior to 2018 that there were some types of personal property that also qualified. But starting then with the changes that Congress made to the tax code, only real estate, real property interests, and um, in addition to what people might traditionally think of as, as real estate, like apartment buildings or mm -hmm. things like that, there's other types of property that are considered somewhat intangible that might also qualify like easements or leasehold interests if they're of a um, long enough duration. Okay. Oh, that's good. But yeah, and a lot of times what you think about is the land, the buildings, that that's usually what comes to mind. I think when people think of like kind of exchanges, you know, kind of the, the right. big stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah, we're all in real estate uh, with, with uh, improvements on it and that sort of thing. Yeah. So we know what it is. So why would somebody want to do this? Well, I mean... The, the main reason to, to utilize a 1031 exchange is to increase your borrowing and, and purchasing power because, uh, not borrowing power, but purchasing power, because if you engage in a straight purchase and sale transaction, you're going to create a taxable event, in which case the, the state and federal and maybe even, maybe even local government is going to want their share of, of the proceeds that you receive. So they'll tax that. But if you do a like kind exchange and structure it properly, then you're able to defer recognition of that tax. So put off the, the taxable event. 
And that seems to be probably the biggest thing that we hear from people is I've sold this piece of property or I'm going to sell this piece of property. How do I avoid paying taxes on it? You know, that's that's the, a lot of people's motivation. They don't want to pay taxes. Right. That. I mean, that's the, nobody. <laughs> yeah, that's the last thing you want to do is pay pay the federal government his share of the, right. of the money. So yeah, so we've got. I mean, and, and just just to to put some numbers with it. I mean, with capital gains rates are at the maximum rates at twenty percent. Uh, depreciation recapture at twenty five percent for individuals, and um, then the net investment tax at three point eight percent. Plus, states like Alabama typically impose their own capital gains rate. So right. if if you're if you engage in a transaction that's subject to tax, you're getting close to 30 plus 35 percent of the um, proceeds that will go to the government rather than being able to use to, to plow into an, a next the next purchase or the next development. And if it's a piece of property somebody's owned for a long time or for some reason has very low basis, that can be a really big deal. If you've got something that's greatly appreciated, you don't want to lose that. You could you you could be talking about some big numbers, right? Potentially, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Particular, or if you did, you know, had owned it or had depreciated it. Depreciated. All right, yeah. that's a big deal. So, are there any disadvantages to doing a like kind of exchange? Well, the there's not a ton of disadvantages. There is a little more paperwork involved in in doing a, a 1031 exchange. You'll have additional parties that are involved, uh, and you got to make sure that that the parties involved know what they're doing. The the taxpayer or the person that's contemplating doing a 1031 exchange will have to um, but typically go to their tax advisors like their accountants and their lawyers, but they can't utilize those two groups of individuals to, um, to actually hold the proceeds that are going to be uh, realized in the mm -hmm. first exchange of property. So they have to engage independent parties, which there's so there's more agreements and things of that nature. And then there's some tax filings that you have to um, to make that you wouldn't ordinarily have to make if you just right. did a straight sale of the property. But um, if you engage the right people to help you with the transaction, it's really pretty seamless and not that hard. That's good. So a little extra paperwork, but yeah. make sure you get the right advisors to help you with yeah, it. Yeah, and get them involved early. I mean, yes. you know, a, lot, a lot of times we'll, you know, we find that um, the parties will come to you after the sort of the, the, the cows out of the barn a little bit, you know, okay. where the, they've already engaged in, they've already sold the property and perhaps taken possession of the, um, the proceeds from the sale. And that, at that point, it's a little bit late. Yeah, I know we'll get into that, but I know timing is really critical when right. it comes to a like kind of exchange. Yes. So we'll just move right into that. So how does a like kind of exchange work? Well, I mean, there, you, so you've, you've got to have an, an exchange. And so um, that's the kind of the, the, the first thing is it's an exchange, not, not a sale. And so let's talk about a few terms that we'll, that we'll be talking about as we go through this. So a qualified intermediary is typically involved, and that's somebody that will hold the, um, the proceeds from the, the first leg of the transaction, the sale typically. Mm -hmm. um, Sometimes they're called an accommodator or a facilitator or, in short, a QI. Mm -hmm. The exchanger is is what uh, is the taxpayer, the person that's selling or relinquishing the property. And the relinquished property is the property that the exchanger sells, the first, first leg there. Replacement property is the property that the the exchanger goes out and acquires in exchange for, for letting go of the relinquished property. And then... We talked, my example at the beginning was we had a direct exchange or simultaneous exchange of property. In um, 
often cases and most of the times the, the things that where we're involved it's going to be a delayed or a deferred exchange and so that's when you would need to introduce exchange agreements and things of that nature that would have to be signed engaging the qi to take possession of the sale proceeds and to go out and acquire the relinquished property um, once there's some timelines that apply mm -hmm. so once once you have sold or let go of the relinquished property, the taxpayer has 45 days to go out and identify possible replacement properties. And there's, there's some limitations on the number of properties that can be identified as potential replacement properties. Uh, that one of the key things to remember there is that those, those uh, properties must be described with some particularity and they got to be described in writing and, and the, the identification is given to the QI in order to make sure that that the property is identified. If you miss that, then there really is not a there's not a good way to cure that. So you got to make sure that before the 45th day, you've got replacement properties identified. Okay. And then once the replacement properties are identified, we've got 180 days from the the date of the initial sale to go out and acquire the replacement property. It could be a little sooner than that if you if your um, tax return due date comes quicker than 180 <laughs> days. But um, solution to that would be to file an extension yes, to make absolutely. sure that you get the full 180 days if you if you close in the last quarter of the of a, of a calendar year. All right, so you've got um, property that's been relinquished, property A has been sold, you've gone out and identified replacement properties. Um, once you've identified all these properties, then you go out to the process of actually acquiring them. So you've got other closings that will occur, a second set of closing. Could be multiple closings because you could have multiple pieces of property that mm -hmm. are acquired as the replacement properties. Okay. Um, the, the, um, the idea is that you want to acquire enough property that um, you've, you've incurred the fair market value. Excuse me, let me take a... No, you're good. <laughs> so we keep that water handy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that you've acquired enough um, replacement property to equal the value of the relinquished property. Um, and if you, if you don't do that, then, then we'll talk about in a, in a little bit later, yeah. you could have what we call boot, which is another term that you'll need to become familiar with. Boot is right. just simply additional property that you receive in a, in a transaction that um, is not like kind. So most, most commonly would be cash can also be personal property, but hmm. cash is, the, of course, the most common. And to the right. extent that you receive any boot, that's going to be taxable. And that's okay, you know, right? Because, I mean, if you – sometimes people think that I've got to reinvest every dollar. And I think that in order to maximize your benefit, you should. But there are situations where if you don't reinvest all of it, it can still be beneficial for you overall. Oh yeah, you end up with a little bit left over. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can. You can. Um, it's. It's. It's a partial deferral. Partial. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, you don't. It's not all or nothing. It's right. just. It's just that what you do invest is is uh, given the beneficial tax treatment of deferral, and what you don't is, is subject to immediate taxation. So the we've got some pretty important dates we have to follow. We. 
and there's and the money has to be treated a certain way. We can't we nobody needs to write you a check if you want to do a like kind of exchange. And you know right. you you need that's where the qualified intermediary comes into play. So there's definite check check boxes you've got to hit in order to qualify. So what are some other particular things that taxpayers should not miss? Yeah, I mean that's I mean you've hit the most important one is don't touch the cash. Right. I mean if if you as a taxpayer at some point you come into possession or control of the cash, then it has blown the exchange. And so that's we get there are some rules that go into explaining what constitutes control because it, it's not obviously if if you're handed a check or cash, you know that's possession. You, you, that's easy. Right. There's other instances where if if you control the party that receives the cash or the particular institution, there's some there's some limitations on things where we have to make sure that. The recipient of the cash from the initial property sale is independent. They handle the money in accordance with the exchange agreement, and that they um, um, that they don't allow the taxpayer to exercise control over the disposition of that, except within the constraints of the tax code. And that's why it's important to contact your advisors before, really before you get started because you could make a misstep and not even realize that you've done it because right. because you closed on the sale and you took possession of the cash or something like that. And there's not a whole lot you can do to unwind that once it's done. Right. Call it, you know, call us early and often, right. well, you know, that's the, 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 cause you don't want to, you don't want to have the cash and then come to your tax advisors and go, Hey, I'd like to do an exchange. And right. So it's a little bit, a little bit late. That's there right. might, you know, there's sometimes there's things depending on how the closing has occurred. It's worth looking at. I mm -hmm. mean, there may be, it's possible that the money has not been distributed or, or there's a way that it's been held by a third party that might possibly qualify as a, as a, uh, uh, an intermediary, but in general, if you've closed that first leg, it's a little bit late. Um, you know, I don't know if there, there's some other things that you might want to, you know, that they, mm -hmm. they want to be yeah. wary of. Sure. So you you want know, to make sure that um, if you're if you're going to acquire debt, that you um, are going to have debt on the property that you acquire, that the debt is at least equal to what you had on it to begin with. Um, so if if the um, that can again, depending on how, how the debt works out, that can result in a transaction being partially taxable okay. as well. the The replacement property there's not a there's not a minimum time specified that you have to hold the property in order for it to be to, to be qualifying. Um, one of the things that we talked about was that you know it has to be real estate, but it has to be held for investment. Or in in a personal business, it's not just any. It's not just so. For instance, your personal residence wouldn't yes. count, but the property that you acquire, the IRS is going to look at it, or when they if they were to come back and look at a transaction to to see whether it satisfied the element of being held for investment or being held in a productive use. They're they're looking at the time element, but there's not like a specific time that says. Oh, you only held it for six months, so mm -hmm. that's not going to work. It may or may not work. It depends on your your intent. They look at the the various factors that surround the whole transaction and what you were doing with the property and how you held it and what you did with it. Um, another thing to 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 be wary of is that when you close a transaction, you'll get a closing statement. There'll be a lot of expenses typically allocated on there, and some of those expenses are uh, eligible to be to be counted as a permissible use of the the proceeds that you were acquiring from 
from the uh, sale of the relinquished property. Some of them are not. So okay. you just have to be careful to make sure that you look at the regulations and, and don't try to count something as a qualifying expenditure that doesn't meet the, the requisite requirement. So, for example, um, if you're buying replacement property or selling replacement property, selling your relinquished property either way that has uh, tenants in it, so you've got security, par security deposits and prepaid rents and that sort of thing, those would not be eligible to be, to be treated as like-kind exchange yeah. expenses. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Uh, so we've talked about how you might have Part of this could be taxable. None of it could be taxable, depending on how much you reinvest and all that. So it sounds like we're going to have to report this on our tax return if we do this. Right. So how do we do that? It, is there a particular form we have to file? Yeah, there is a particular form that we file. It's an 8824, <laughs> and there's as parts one, two, and three. We got to we got to fill out on those. And if we um, if we sell to a related party, the taxpayer sells to a related party, they've got to file that form for I think two years in general. There are some some exceptions to that, but in general, they've got to file the 8824 for for the the year that the property is sold, plus an additional two years if they're related. Otherwise, it's just the year that they, they sell the property. And that that form is 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 good. It's got good instructions. It helps the uh, taxpayer go through and figure out um, you know identify their basis and identify the gain, and so they'll know kind of what's been deferred and what they're what they're rolling forward in terms of their deferred tax liability. I think that's an important point is that the your the gain doesn't go away it's just deferred right so and that's reflected in the basis in the new property so that's that is an important thing to remember is it's not like woohoo my gain's gone it's it's just down the road yeah i mean you, you can do things like die and that right. that, that gets rid of it but uh, you know short of <laughs> short short of doing something extraordinary like that right. it's, it's it's going to be there to be recognized at some point or if you just continue to engage in you know one after the other after the other i know we've got um we've got clients that uh, we both know that that you know that their goal is to never ever, right. ever pay any uh, income tax on any of their sales of, of real estate. And so they just engage in one after the other, after the other, after the other. And so that's, you know, it's a way to do it. And the IRS allows that. There's yeah. no, there's no rule against that. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, that's, that's a, that kind of brings up an uh, exception I was going to talk about on the related parties. Uh, if we had a moment was mm -hmm. that sure. if um, typically you 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 have, you have rules and, and prohibitions or, or holding periods on, in terms of if you're going to acquire from a related prop, uh, related party. So that's somebody that's related to you, and they have very specific rules on what constitutes a related party. It's not prohibited. It's just that you've got certain special requirements that hold on it. But if the, um, if the related party wants to engage in its own exchange, then then it can do that and not be subject to the holding period requirement. So that's one of the kind of the interesting twists and hmm. things that if people are not aware, sometimes they get in their, their head if they've heard things that they're like, well, I can't engage in a transaction with a related party, or there's a holding period of two years that I can't violate. And so th those things are, there's rules and there's exceptions. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that is tricky when yeah. it comes to related parties, for sure. Um, some of this, some of my my outline items we've discussed a little yeah. bit. We've discussed reinvesting part of the proceeds. We kind of covered that. So we can. So we've talked a, 
one thing we haven't talked about is the reverse exchange. Right. Should we touch on that a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, the we've been talking about a forward exchange on, on both both either the simple we swap A and B, you and I, or we do a deferred exchange. That's a forward swap where the 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 acquisition of the relinquished property is coming in the future. You can actually do it in reverse and, and go out and require acquire have the. Uh, replacement property acquired first. Now, again, you've got to engage a qualified intermediary or an exchange accommodation title holder in order to, to facilitate that. But so with the right documentation, you can actually do, do the transaction in reverse. So you would need to engage someone before the purchase in that situation. You can't uh, in order to do it properly. Right, yeah. right, right. So you, yeah, the, the, it's the, it's, you know, the, pa the paperwork is essentially the same. It's just done in reverse order in terms of the, the property acquisitions. Because I could see how somebody might purchase a piece of property, maybe without the intention of doing an exchange, and then the opportunity presents itself where they could sell this other piece of property over here, and they think, oh, well, maybe I could do a reverse exchange now. Uh, but But it sounds like you really need to get your ducks in a row before you purchase anything. Yes. If that was your intention. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's it's, it's the it's the same sort of advice that we would give to people that are wanting to do it, right. <laughs> a direct or forward exchange is to, to do the, the paperwork first, talk to your advisors first, engage the necessary independent parties to make the transaction work. So let's talk about something kind of specific. Okay. Okay. Something we get questions about from time to time at our office. I'm sure you do too. So we've talked a lot about, I think everything we've talked about so far has really been individuals, individuals owning property, selling property, exchanging property. But we see this in partnerships too, a lot of partnerships on property. So if a partnership sells a piece of property, maybe it has four partners and maybe this one partner doesn't doesn't really want to pay tax on that gain. Right. Uh, maybe is not interested in doing something else with the cash, wants to take their share of the cash and do their own exchange. So, but that would require them receiving a distribution of cash from the partnership, which would negate the whole exchange because they've touched the cash at that right. point. Right. So is there, how can, how can a partnership execute a lot kind of exchange? A partnership can, but how could the individual partners maybe execute their own exchanges from that sale. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a that's a very common problem where because you oftentimes will have um, investors with different investment goals and one or more in a that might be involved in a in owning a particular piece of real estate when it comes time to to exit out of owning it may wish to go out and acquire a placement property where others don't. Mm -hmm. But if they will all agree to cooperate there's a way to to facilitate that for the ones that do want to go out and require replacement property. So the it's it's referred to in the industry. Some some folks call it a drop and swap. Some folks call it a rollout tick. Um, the rollout tick comes from the the idea that at the what the the partnership will do is will convey the real estate to the the partner so they'll individually own it oh. as tenants in common. So TIC tenants in common rollout tick. Um, and then the, the partners will then actually sell their individual interest in the real estate itself, and, and they'll do their own uh, deferred exchange with respect to their proceeds of that little pro rata piece. So if you had five partners that owned an equal piece of, uh, of a real estate transaction, each would say own 20%, they would have a 20% undivided interest in the real estate conveyed to them by the partnership. They would convey that 
twenty percent interest themselves by deed to the you know to the to the uh, buyer of the replacement property, and then the proceeds would go into the exchange escrow and be used to acquire replacement property according to that the the process we talked about before. But either either way, you're all going to have to agree on it. Right. Two of you can't choose to do an exchange and two of you or three of you or whatever not. Well, I mean, the, the I guess if you do the tenants in common, you can. Yeah. The okay. tenants, yeah. The, they, it, it can be done so that uh, not every partner is actually doing uh, a subsequent acquisition of replacement property. OK, well, that's good. So then yeah. then you can't you don't all have to agree. <laughs> well, you have to agree because it I mean, well. You, had to a, certain you, degree. you have to agree in accordance with the rules governing the partnership. So it may be that um, it takes unanimity depending on the, on the way the, the partnership or limited liability company documents are drafted, or it may, it may simply require a majority other or other voting percentage. But there are, there are several options there, which is right. good. But the partnership itself could just treat – the partnership itself could sell a piece of property, exchange it, acquire another piece of property, and, and not ever – touch the partners individually yeah, that's as long, an option. yeah as long as the taxpayer is is the same it can be done um any taxpayer can do their own exchange okay. and you know we 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 didn't focus on that but it, it does need to be the same taxpayer mm. that's acquiring the replacement property as the one that relinquished the property there are a few exceptions to that too like <laughs> wholly owned limited liability companies are disregarded in any other oh, entity right. that might be disregarded but if the um if they do the rollout tick or the drop and swap, um, they're going to they'll in, they'll each individually be liable for their own um, compliance. And one of the things that that comes into play with with what we just talked about is the strategy is: Have you met the the sufficient holding period in order to qualify for the investment intent and that sort of thing? So that's one of the things that the IRS would would look at hmm. in, in those transactions. That makes sense. Yeah, that's uh that that gets real nuanced depending yeah. on what your structure is and all that. But it's good to know that if you are in a partnership, you are looking to sell a piece of property, you do have a few options. You can talk to your advisor about. Yeah, that there happens. are some options, and 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 there's there's there are some other options out there in terms of re- acquiring replacement property that are not are not commonly thought of. There there's some some folks have started trust agreements and things like that they're, they're called they're typically done under under the state of delaware where they set up specifically to be designed to be uh beneficial interest and trust that are acquired as replacement property oh. and so people sometimes will will use that as a primary investment because they get a diversified investment um as a replacement property or they'll sometimes list that as a as a contingent on their when they're identifying their list of possible replacement properties in that initial 45 days, they'll list that as one of them just as sort of a backup in case they can't uh, come to terms on the other replacement properties or for whatever reasons those deals fall through. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I am I know that since this is a big part of your practice, you've probably seen some interesting uh, transactions regarding these exchanges. Do you have anything that uh, maybe kind of like what you're describing, maybe something that's something that's not something you would automatically think about when you think about an exchange? Well, I mean, we've hit a couple of those examples. The 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 one that very interesting was using that uh, Delaware Trust yeah. as replacement property. But the, another one would be, and it's not that it's, it's, it's out of the realm, it's actually kind of anticipated if you look at the definition of what can, can be relinquished and replacement property under the regulations. But we had a, a client where they they sold uh, land 
that was just raw land, and they went out and acquired a leasehold interest in coal. Oh. And so it was, it's, you wouldn't initially think of that as necessarily being like kind for like kind, but it, it did qualify according to you know everybody that we had involved. And yeah. so it, it is a, an interest that could be acquired. So that was a pretty interesting one to see that you don't typically see every day. Most mm -hmm. of the times the properties are, are more nearly similar when you're, they don't necessarily, maybe relinquishing raw land and acquiring an apartment complex, but that, that seems more closely related than, than something like a, a leasehold interest in coal. So. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. We do typically think of maybe land for land or commercial real estate for right. commercial real estate, that kind of thing. Well, that's interesting. So that's a good thing about uh, exploring all your options there and don't, and not locking yourself into one type of transaction. Well, and, and, and thinking, you know, thinking, a little bit outside the box mm -hmm. about what might be a qualifying real estate interest. And it, it's a, the way the new rules or the most recent rules are written, it's, it's basically left to the states to determine, you know, if it's a, if it's real estate under a particular state's laws, then the IRS says we'll go along with it with, mm. with certain limited exceptions. Of course, there, there are certain things that is, they just absolutely don't work no matter what a state might hold. But so it's, it's a state law determination. So that's one of the first things you have to do is, is talk to, an attorney that's experienced with real estate in a particular state to see whether or not it's, it's going to be a real estate interest that may possibly qualify under 1031. Well, that's good advice. If state law comes into play, then yeah. Yeah, you need so, somebody who's familiar with that state's laws. Right. And so not just, yeah, so it, it needs to be, you know, the, the people that you hire need to be experienced not only with the federal tax laws, but also the particular state in which hmm. the the property interests are located, both the replacement property and, and the, the, the initial re relinquished property. And we always advise people to find somebody like yourself who the, who is well-versed in like kind of exchanges because, as we've discussed today, we and we've just hit the very top. Like this, right. this is this is a, a mile deep here. We've gone about an inch, you know? Yeah. So there's a lot to this. It's very detailed. And so you, you want to make sure you've got a team of – your accountant and your attorney and everybody involved that this is they're familiar with all these rules and can really walk you through all the steps make it easy for you yeah i mean this you know what we've done today i guess is a it's a give you a good overview and sure. it is it is a topic that lends itself to kind of learning it somewhat incrementally but it is so it's not one of those subjects where you have to learn everything about it before you know anything you can sure. you know the the most basic transactions can be beneficial to folks that um, it's one of the, it's one of the, some people call it a loophole. I don't really think of it as a loophole. I just, because it's been around for so long, I mm -hmm. think of it as a, you know, it's a tax code that, that prudent, you know, planning sh you should take advantage of. Sure. And it's available to, to folks that it, you don't necessarily have to have, you know, a, a $20 million project. I mean, lots, I think the, the, the statistics show that most of the projects that, that are involved are, a million dollars or less in terms of the, you know, the, the actual replacement and relinquished property. So, so it, it is something to think about not only for um, investors that routinely deal in this stuff, but just, just your casual investors that might have acquired some property along the way need to, to look at it before they decide to sell. Well, that's good to know. It's a general interest. Yes. <laughs> is there anything we haven't covered that you um, can think of? I don't think so. I mean, I think that gives us a good, you know, basic overview of the good overview topic. 
I agree. Well, thank you so much okay. for joining Welcome. us today. Um, just as a reminder, uh, anybody that wants to reach out to you, you're with Hayes yeah, Ingram. Yeah, Hayes Ingram here in town in Tuscaloosa. So. Okay, well. Marlon Hayes. I'm not 100% sure if I introduced myself in the beginning, oh. but <laughs> I'm Rachel Taylor. I'm a shareholder at Jamison Money Farmer, and Marlon and I have worked together. You're right. right. I knew who you were. So I, <laughs> I did, you, knew, I did, I did, <laughs> you didn't even think about it. <laughs> but I started thinking, I'm not sure if I said who I was. But uh, but you and I worked together on some mutual clients, right. and uh, so we thought this would be a fun uh, conversation to have about like kind of exchanges. So thank you for joining us today. And Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And thanks for everybody for listening to the JMF Advisors show. Just as a reminder, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And we're also on YouTube, so you can follow us there and get notified when we post something new. So we'll see you next time. If you would like us to help your business or would like to suggest additional podcast topics, simply send an email to info at jmf.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on YouTube and your favorite audio podcast apps.